Does your dog talk to you? Do you know what he or she is saying? Welcome to My Doggy Says. Here now to help you understand and build a closer relationship with your dog, the host of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Hi, this is Fred Haney, host of the My Doggy Says show, where you learn how to build a stronger relationship with your dog. You learn about dog bonding or getting way past the sit and stay approach to dog training. Uh, you'll hear interviews here with experts from all corners of the dog world. And the whole idea is to improve your dog communication skills and build closer relationships with your pets. Uh, we're trying to take uh, your relationship to a higher level so we can all be dog's best friend. As usual, I'm here with one of my best friends, Callie Golden Retriever, who's now uh, three and a half years old. We're doing a pre-recording this morning, so Callie and I haven't had our daily soccer game yet. But uh, we're taking that soccer game to a different level. As you know, uh, if you listen to the show, Callie's been working on doing nosers. If you're watching the World Cup, you know what a header is. Well, if you're a golden retriever and you try to do a header, your nose gets in the way and it becomes a noser. We're working on uh, kind of rapid-fire nosers and uh, getting pretty good at it. Callie really enjoys that practice. Our guest is John Franklin. He's the author of a book titled The Wolf in the Parlor. The Eternal Connection Between Humans and Dogs. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation with John. He's uh, written a very fascinating book and addresses the question about uh, uh, where do dogs come from, how did they come into our lives, how many years ago. It's it's a, a fascinating story that he tells. Uh, as you know, there are ways you can participate with us during the week. Uh, check out our blog at uh, www.mydoggysays.com, and uh, you can uh, read the blog there. You can send an email to me. You can send an email to Jamie, and uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. If you take a look at the blog, you'll see that we've posted the uh, interview with Linda Blair from the Linda Blair Foundation. You'll see the beginning of a series we're doing uh, as if I needed 10 more reasons to love and appreciate Callie Golden Retriever, and another little article about what you should know about your dog's whiskers, and then uh, podcasts of previous interviews, uh, Kelly Moyer from the Tales of Hope Animal Rescue, Steve Dale from Animal Talk Radio, Sharon Saxon on uh, the healing power of dogs. So we'll uh, begin our conversation with uh, John Franklin, author of The Wolf in the Parlor, The Eternal Connection Between uh, Humans and Dogs. And uh, John, uh, by way of introduction, is the winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Explanatory Journalism and the Pulitzer Prize for Feature Writing, among other numerous awards. The author of Molecules of the Mind, a New York Times Book of the Year, he is currently the Philip Merrill Chair at the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland, where he teaches literary journalism history. He lives in Maryland with his wife, Lynn, who features some uh, in his book, and a dog named Sam. John, welcome to the My Doggy Says Show. Thank you for inviting me. Just uh, so great to have you here. I uh, just had a wonderful time reading your book. Uh, I have kind of subscribed to the narrative, and I suspect some other people have, that was uh, described in 1912 by Rudyard Kipling. Uh, in his uh, Just So stories, uh, he, he talks about the contract between man and dog, uh, and he puts himself back in uh, 
the times when uh, men and women lived in caves, and he says, Then the woman picked up a roasted mutton bone and threw it to Wild Dog and said, Wild thing out of the wild woods, taste and try. Wild Dog gnawed the bone, and it was more delicious than anything he had ever tasted, and he said, Oh, my enemy and wife of my enemy, give me another. The woman said, Wild thing, go out of the wild woods, help my man to hunt through the day and guard this cave at night, and I will give you as many roast bones as you need. I've always uh, thought that was kind of a cute way to encapture what might have happened. But you've really rewritten that narrative, haven't you? You've rethought it, and you've rewritten it. We know enough now to be able to say that it was a lot. And, you know, in some cases, what Kipling's, in some senses, what Kipling said is still so. But it's, um, it leaves out an awful lot of steps, and it's a lot more complicated than that. You have to realize that, that, that until the time of domestication, which was about 12,000 years ago, uh, complete domestication, uh, although the story goes back, we don't know how long, 50,000 years at least, um, that the dog, the dog did, just didn't suddenly bond with a human. It was, a, it was a, a, a long, uh, a lot of steps um, with the dog, um, with, with the wolves, Sort of, sort of dividing themselves out and becoming uh, camp followers when they became camp followers, and I, I, I think that you know wounded wolves and wolves that that um, that had no territory probably started following human beings maybe as much as a hundred thousand years ago because they were real messy. I mean, we we um, are probably the world's worst for being for leaving garbage behind, and that's because we lived in the trees and we just dropped it and it disappeared. But when we came out of the trees, we didn't have the instinct to be neat. So, so we, we, you know, we dropped things, we threw a lot of stuff away and, and a wolf who was injured or, or something like that. And then, and then wolves won't, wolf, wolves won't take stranger wolves from other areas. They'll kill them. You had the human migrants who then were followed by the wolves and at some point wolf cubs although actually they're called pups i have been informed um since the book was written wolf pups have the ability to bark but they lose it john let me uh, interrupt just for a second to tell our listeners that uh, the my doggy says show i'm your host fred haney helping you find ways to build stronger bonds with your dog and tonight we're visiting with john franklin who's the author of the wolf in the parlor so continue the thought. I, I think a good thing to do here, John, is to sort of describe the overall message of your book, and you're doing that very nicely. And then maybe we'll go back and uh, uh, walk through the process a little bit by which you uh, arrived at your conclusions. Sure. Um, what happens is at the end of the last ice age, ice age about 12,000 years ago or thereabouts, people push that number around, the human and the more or less dog now found themselves in a position where they couldn't survive without the other one. And um, when it happened, when when dogs, well, the reason dogs came import, became important is that the livestock, the caribou, were dying out. There weren't nearly as many of them as there were during the Ice Age, and um, 
so it was it was important for the humans to deny the ones that were left to the wolves. And it turns out that if you change just one gene in the wolf, it'll become a herder. That gene did change, it survived, and at the time that that we get dogs in Europe, um, and I say at the time, you know, geological time within, you know, as near as we can tell is a few thousand years, but but dogs, dogs seem to appear all over the world. It's almost like either everyone invented them simultaneously, which is a little bit difficult to, to buy, or they were so important that they were items of trade, and the the humans who didn't get the wolves died out, or the humans who didn't get the dogs, because they're dogs by now. In other words, that was the... That, that became almost instantly a necessity of survival. And that, that may be, and I'm, you know, I'm stepping out on a big limb now, but that, that may be why all of a sudden the human beings increased in number and Neanderthal vanished. That, the, the, that they didn't have this sort of eternal pact with dogs. The eternal pact, though, is biological. I mean, we are, the dog has a piece of our brain, literally, and we have a piece of the dog. At the time that the dog became, and I'm putting together a lot of stuff here that 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 is is known and proven, but hasn't been put together. Um, at the time that the dog and man fused into basically a single creature, the human lost 10% of its brain mass, and the dog lost 20% of its brain mass. Now, if you think about that, if you think about the human side of it, when you when you read about human evolution, we go on for for millions of years, and everybody's talking about okay, the brain is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and that that, that sort of defining human. And yet, at the moment we become the most human and sort of take the first steps towards dominating the earth, we lose ten percent of our brain, which seems uh, contradictory with what you'd expect. Yeah. But what happens is, and we know that any animal that becomes domesticated will lose part of its brain because it doesn't need it. And these are very, uh, you know, brain cells, they cost us a lot. So if we don't need them, we, we tend to lose them. John, if you could hold the thought there, we're uh, coming up on a break. Uh, I'd like to continue that because it's just a fascinating uh, piece of information. Uh, we'll continue that on the other side. Uh, tell our listeners how they can find uh, your book, The Wolf in the Parlor. It's certainly in most bookstores, but it's it's in uh, uh, you know Amazon.com has it, and uh, Amazon.com is actually starting to sell some used ones already. Uh, Barnes and Noble has it. Borders, some of them have it, and some of them don't. Well, it's a uh, it's a very fun book to read. I enjoyed it, and uh, there's just a lot of uh, meat and substance in there. Uh, after the break, we'll come back and uh, pick up a little uh, on your thought that uh, at about the same time that man uh, lost 10% of his brain mass, dogs also lost about 20% of theirs, and that's part of this uh, biological uh, contract that uh, you, you're talking about. Uh, so don't go away. Uh, we'll be back with John Franklin after the break. It's the My Doggy Says Show. Thank you. 
back to My Doggy Says, here once again to help you understand and build a closer relationship with your dog. The host of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to the My Doggy Says show, where you learn how to get better at dog bonding. You learn that there's much more to dog relationship than just obedience training. Uh, we're learning uh, how to gain a deeper appreciation for dogs and to uh, help you improve your dog talk skills and your dog relationship skills uh, so you can be dog's best friend. And you're doing it here with us on the Doggy Appreciation Network. We're talking this evening with John Franklin, who's the author of The Wolf in the Parlor, The Eternal Connection Between Humans and Dogs. As you know, you can track along with us during the week by following our website, www.mydoggysays.com. Uh, read the blog there and uh, follow us. Uh, these interviews are posted on the website as podcasts. They're also available on iTunes uh, under My Doggy Says on the uh, podcast page. And uh, another thing you want to check out on our website is the Dog Appreciation Lessons CD. You will hear uh, humor and wisdom from people who love dogs. The CD is 18 sound clips from the over 100 interviews we've done here on the show, and you'll hear some very thoughtful comments from people who are very much into uh, bonding with their dogs and having very strong relationships with them. Uh, Dean Koontz talks about uh, some wonderful ways that uh, his dog, Trixie, helped him see the world in a different way. Tom Sullivan talks about his guide dogs and some uh, magical experiences he had with them. Uh, Stanley Corrin talks about the intelligence of dogs, uh, and uh, on, on and on. You'll want to be sure and explore that when you check out our website, mydoggysays.com. We'll uh, continue our conversation with John Franklin, who's the author of The Wolf in the Parlor, The Eternal Connection Between Humans and Dogs. So, John, there's this uh, amazing thing that uh, happens uh, back in archaeological time, I think we're about uh, 12,000 years ago. Is that roughly right when there's this yeah, change? Yeah, that's, that's going to be rough. It's, it's hard to... Um, um, but actually, actually, that's fairly precise for for archaeology. You're, you know, you get it within two or 3,000 years, and you're doing pretty good. You hope you're roughly right. Yeah, it's people play with those, and the tests get better. The, 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 the dating methods get better and better. One of the things that really impressed me in the process here, I, when we think about evolution, and, and you talked about the, the two Pulitzers, those were both for work in brain science. I've been very interested in the evolution uh, of the brain slash behavior, you know, how we come to feel and act the way that we do. I was really surprised to find out, though, that the that the human and the dog were symbiotes. I mean, that we're obviously not um, obligate symbiotes because people can live without dogs, although I question whether they live as well. We think about, when we think about evolution, we, we, we think about, uh, you know, nature being red in, in uh, tooth and claw, and, and we think of competition. But actually, it's 
when you look at it, it begins to appear that as many changes take place by, by merging, by becoming symbiotes, as they do by sort of by contest and competition. So pursuing uh, mutual interest, and maybe in in this case, the uh, little Roger Kipling story isn't that far off. Almost anyone who does something artistic about this moment, it's the woman who does it. You know, I'm I'm convinced that uh, when dogs were domesticated, it was the woman who basically did the domesticating. If you look at it now and you look at people who really understand dogs, there are some males, but by and large they tend to be females. Well, that's a really interesting comment. Uh, I want to follow up on that in a second. This is the My Doggy Says Show. I'm your host, Fred Haney, helping you find ways to build a stronger bond with your dog. And uh, tonight uh, you're visiting with John Franklin, the author of The Wolf in the Parlor, The Eternal Connection Between uh, Humans and Dogs. Uh, John, I'm asked frequently what's the demographic for uh, the book that I wrote or for my talk show, Uh, and the measure that I have is uh, my followers on Twitter and my friends on Facebook uh, and some of the comments I get on the blog. And I would say that uh, women probably make up uh, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of, uh, of my demographic. You know, the same with mine, with a, totally different, with a totally different subject. The fact is that men don't read very much, and there are, and which is too bad. And they, insofar as our civilization is, is absorbed and carried through and taught to our children and their children, it's the women who do this, and the men generally read sports and things that apply to their profession, and that's about it. When I first found out, and, and I guess I was pretty much of a chauvinist, when I first found out that um, um, most of my readers were were women, I, I, I was quite dismayed about that, and then... And then it didn't take me a whole long time to discover that that is the premium premium audience. It's probably also true if you uh, went on Amazon and looked at uh, the uh, top 100 dog training books. I think a lot of those are probably written by women as well. Yes. Yes. Well, my Charlie and Sam uh, really aren't my dogs. I mean, they're. I'm, I guess from their point of view, I'm sort of I'm sort of the um, omega animal. We get along fine, and I love them, and vice versa, and all that. But but they're really Lynn's Lynn's animals, and well, animal one at a time. And when um, um, I go around with her to shows and and uh, you know training sessions and all that. Um, uh, there are always some guys there who are who are taking care of the sound equipment and are fixing things and doing that. But hey, it's the women who know about dogs. So we're uh, coming up uh, on a break here in a, a little over a minute. Let let me see if I can quickly summarize or encapsulate the uh, really uh, key message here. Uh, I think you're saying that. Uh, Contrary to uh, scientific opinion, uh, dogs were not really domesticated, uh, and they weren't. Uh, they it, this whatever happened, uh, 
uh, didn't happen 6,000 years ago. It happened more like 12,000 years ago. And there was this fascinating trade-off that took place. Uh, all of a sudden, man's, uh, man needed 10% less brain and dog needed, uh, or wolf needed 20% less brain uh, because of this symbiosis that uh, occurred. Is, is that pretty close to your message? Uh, yes, and, and there's an interesting point we might talk about when you come back, when we come back, is that, uh, what 10% did we lose? Yeah, that's a, a fascinating point. I don't want to lose, if I'm going to lose 10%, I want to make sure I can choose it. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you lost it. <laughs> remind our listeners uh, how they can find your book, John. Probably on the web is the easiest way. I buy most of my books on the web anymore. Um, independent bookstores, unfortunately, are kind of disappearing, um, and it's quicker to get it on the web, although some of the Barnes & Noble superstores have it. So it's um, on Amazon and the uh, uh, usual suspects. It's the My Doggy Says show. Uh, we're visiting with John Franklin, author of The Wolf in the Parlor, and we'll be back with John after the break. Your dog's actions may speak louder than words. Welcome back to My Doggy Says. Here again to help you become a better listener with your best friend, the author of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to the My Doggy Says show, where you learn what makes dogs tick, how to improve your dog bonding skills, and how to be dog's best friend. And you're doing it on the Doggy Appreciation Network. We're visiting this evening with John Franklin, author of The Wolf in the Parlor, The Eternal Connection Between Humans and Dogs, and it's just a fascinating rewrite, basically, of the story of how dogs came into our lives. You can participate with us during the week. Be sure and check out our website, www.mydoggysays.com, where you won't see it for a couple of weeks, but we're in the process of re-architecting the website. There's a lot of uh, content on the website, a lot of video, a lot of photographs, a lot of podcasts, uh, but they're a little hard to get at because they're all in the uh, blog archive uh, format. Uh, but uh, in a few weeks, you'll see that we've made it so that uh, within a, with a click or two, uh, you can get to uh, any of the uh, dog photographs, any of the dog videos. And there's a lot of fun video there. Uh, and also any of the podcasts. So they'll be set up in more of a uh, gallery format uh, and much more uh, accessible from the, the top level. So we'll continue our conversation with John Franklin, author of The Wolf in the Parlor, The Eternal Connection Between Humans and Dogs. John, uh, just before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, the fact that roughly 12,000 years ago, uh, Humans lost about 10% of their brain mass, and dogs lost about 20% of theirs, and that had to do with this symbiosis, that a human didn't have to do quite so many things, and the dog didn't have to do quite so many things. Uh, but, uh, but, but which 10% did we lose, and which 20% did the dogs lose? 
Um, um, for a very short uh, answer, we lost um, a lot of our emotional brain, which is um, um, tied in with with the sense of smell. Now, the, the dog has uh, a much better sense of smell than we have, although before this I think we had a better sense than we do now uh, because whatever we had we pretty much lost. Um, except we can smell rotten eggs, and that's about it. The dog, well, the human specializes in the abstract, and we're the only animal that can do that. And the dog specializes in the emotion. Its emotional brain uh, basically replaces a lot of ours. It, when a dog has an emotion, if we're paying attention to the dog, we will share that emotion with it. And... and uh, one of the best anecdotes I know, though, to show how this partnership worked is that um, in pre-Columbian times, as a matter of fact, in, in, in post-Columbian times, too, out along the Missouri River, there's a lot of bluffs. And if you go to the top of one of the higher bluffs there and you, you find a place where, because this is not forested, you find a place where you can sit at the end of that bluff and look down along the river, the Indian hunter and his dog would sit there, and the hunter would do his flint napping. And the dog, our vision is better than the dog's, but, but the dog can detect movement better than we can. If a deer or something moves down there, the dog will tense. And the human picks up, you know, if you live with a dog, and if that dog tenses, you pick it up. You, you, you and, are aware of it. Yeah, it, it's an incredible form of communication, and you look where he's looking. At the time I was writing this book, uh, when I had when we had Charlie, um, I had a deck in Oregon that that overlooked sort of a long valley, and there were a lot of um, uh, shrubby things in a lot of it, and some tall trees, and, and and so it was very much like on a promontory. I would sit there and work on whatever work I had to do, and he'd sit there beside me. When he'd tense, my, I couldn't go on working. I mean, I had to stop and see what it was. He can see around corners. I mean, it, it, uh, since he's seeing primarily with odors, if, if, there's, if over the hill there are a number of, of deer, uh, he can tell how many they are and how old they are and how many males and how many females and whether or not one of them is sick, uh, he can do this all with his nose, whereas we have a direct line of sight, and that's it. If you just tuned in, you're listening to the My Doggy Says Show. I'm your host, Fred Haney, and we're visiting tonight with John Franklin, author of The Wolf in the Parlor. Uh, John, sorry for the interruption, uh, but uh, continue the thought. Let's go to what I think was the real... Uh, the real nub of what happened was these wolves, which I'm calling follower wolves, were following the humans, and they, they, they didn't mix with the humans or anything like that, but wolf pups, like dog pups, are delicious. And I don't say that because I've ever eaten one, but I am told that they are. A lot of, um, what's the correct word here, um, indigenous people today will eat puppies. And uh, they obviously did a lot more in the past. So what would happen would be, and this is how I think women got involved, women did the cooking, as they do now, and if she decided that uh, she was going to have puppy for supper, she'd go wade into these sort of 
semi semi uh, trained pack. Say there were say there were two pups there, and one of them wagged his tail and licked her hand, and the other one snapped at her and growled and tried to bite her. Now, which one is she going <laughs> to hit with the club? That's uh, evolution at its uh, at its best. Uh, yeah, only you know it's psychological evolution. She was she was evolving dogs to um, kowtow to humans. I think that was the first of it, and then everything proceeded, you know, by steps. Many predators have very complicated uh, programs for um, chasing, catching, and killing its prey. A, um, a cougar has three or four different programs. It, it chases a deer. It jumps up on the deer's back. It turns its head in a certain way, and it bites through the deer's spinal cord. And if you have a cougar that doesn't, that's missing that last part, it'll just jump up on the deer and not know what to do. And the deer will keep running and throw, throw him off, and, you know, the cougar will basically, cougar will, if he can't catch enough rabbits, he'll starve. Wolves also have actually more complicated they more complicated programs. They circle the prey, and as at some point, then they break the circle and go in and basically nip it uh, at the prey, and then they come out and then, you know, say it's a moose or something like that. I mean, when you look, look at the size of these animals that they were that they expected to have for lunch, it's amazing that you know the weight and muscle ratio and the wolves are do not have the advantage except they have the advantage because there are a number of them and they all uh, make these dashes in and finally they all of them go in and congregate on the animal well what happened was if you find one of these animals now one of these follower wolves which really aren't wolves anymore because they've been doing this for 100,000 years if you find one that doesn't have the program to go in and kill, but has got the other programs, it'll circle the herd. In other words, it'll herd these animals instead of kill them. And when we came to a point where there was suddenly a shortage, there wasn't enough to, you know, during the height of the ice age, there was, there was plenty of caribou to, to go around, I mean, for the wolves and the humans and, and the saber-toothed tigers and anything else, that, uh, anything else that needed protein. There was an incredible amount of protein. When uh, when that protein source diminished, then there was no longer enough to go around. During uh, during the height of the ice age, there was enough protein, you know, for all the humans, the wolves, the uh, saber-toothed tigers, the whole thing. But as the herds diminished, it became important that the humans denied them to the wolves because the humans and the wolves then became competitors. They really weren't before. If you had a dog with that with that one critical link uh, mi- missing, or a you know, dog wolf or whatever you want to call it, it would run around the herd and, you know, essentially herd it. And a wolf, while a wolf can could fight and kill a dog then and now fairly easily, the odds are that the wolf is going to get hurt in the process. Okay, John, and, uh, we're coming up on a break here. My Doggy Says Show. We'll be back with John Franklin after the break.
language? Facial expressions? They're not just for humans anymore. Author Fred Haney says his dog Jamie talks to him. And now to continue the canine conversation, author of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to the My Doggy Says show. I'm Fred Haney, your host and author of the four-time award-winning book, My Doggy Says, Messages from Jamie, How a Dog Named Jamie Talks to Her People. We're visiting this evening with John Franklin, who's the author of The Wolf in the Parlor, uh, The Eternal Connection Between Humans and Dogs. And, John, just before the break, you were talking a little bit about uh, how uh, some wolves, as part of the hunting process, uh, would uh, circle the pack instead of participating in kind of nipping at the prey or trying to jump on it. Uh, And I think you were going to say that... uh, some of those wolves actually became herders. Was that uh, the thought? Yeah, well, actually, um, all wolves do that. But um, uh, dogs lack um, uh, the kill part of the program. And, and apparently, you know, these different parts of the program for hunting, for example, are a series of genes. And if you're, you're born with, without one of these genes, then you don't, then you don't, automatically do that behavior. Apparently there was a dog born without those genes who would circle the herd and, um, you know, a dog, a few dogs circle the herd, deny the protein to the wolf because the wolf, while he could fight the dog, would probably end up with serious injuries and then couldn't hunt anymore and would die. Predators are very, they don't want to get hurt. And so these dogs would become extremely valuable to the people, and they would breed them, and they would trade them, which they apparently did, and they appeared almost in an instant, over in a geological instant, all over the entire world. So that's a uh, fascinating part of the uh, evolution there. Let's shift gears a little bit. I wanted to uh, follow up on a couple uh, images from the book that have to do with, with your thought process. Uh, and one of those is a, a picture of a, a photograph of a grave that uh, contained uh, uh, the bones of a man and the bones of a dog. And the fascinating thing was that I, I think it was something like 150,000 years old. And, and that image kind of haunted you all the way through this thought process. Talk about that. Actually, it's 12,000 years old, which, is, which takes us to this moment. Okay, 12,000. Where did I get the 150? So, so 12,000 is good, but talk about that, uh, uh, that photograph and the image because it, it had a lot of influence on your thinking here, didn't it? Yes, it's a very haunting photograph, and uh, I kept it. I got it in a press release, and I kept it, and it hung around for years, as a matter of fact, and I was able to, um, when I actually got started on this book, when I realized that I was going to have to write this book, I was able to get it, but it was sort of a haunting thing because because this little man was alive at the time the human race really became what it is now, because more than 12,000 years ago, we had bigger brains, but there's a lot of things we didn't have. We didn't have we didn't have the domestic animals, which really we had to have in order for all the other things to happen down the way. The Excuse haunting me. thing here was that uh, here, 12,000 years ago, is a man uh, in a grave with with a dog, uh, and that was kind of before things like that were supposed to have happened. Well, yeah, and of course. People said, well, you can't tell a dog from a wolf pup. Could conceivably have been a wolf pup. 
conceivably, a lot of things could have happened, but when you look at the circumstantial evidence, and you know, most of, most discoveries are made on circumstantial evidence, where the circumstances just get so strong that you can't imagine it being any other way. My assumption, in the end, was that that was the puppy. And one of the reasons for that is that not so much now, we, we treat dying differently, but in the past when someone has been sick or dying, we'll give them a puppy because a puppy is the emotions of life and they, they perk us up. They have part of our emotional system, uh, a part we didn't sort of want to carry around all the time and didn't want to be susceptible to all the time, but when we're really hurting, we need it which is why uh, people in mental institutions respond so positively to dogs. I, I will uh, quote, quote from the book. I, this is a, a sentence I really liked. You said, something allowed the dog to understand how its human looked at the world. I'm just quoting from the book. I, you said, something allowed the dog to understand how its human looked at the world. But somehow the dog seemed to be able to... Uh, uh, provide uh, an emotional side of the relationship. Yes. If I said exactly that, I, I, I don't recall it, because what the dog is doing is is not cerebral, is not understanding. It's the sharing of emotions. It, it's like how um, if a child reaches out and you hold its hand, that induces emotion. Uh, just let me uh, really, interrupt really good for a that. second. John, to uh, remind our listeners, it's the My Dog, He Says show, uh, and uh, you're listening tonight to John Franklin, author of The Wolf in the Parlor. Uh, go ahead, John. Sorry for the interrupt. I don't know how much the dog understands our world if he doesn't understand it any better than we understand his world. <laughs> he they are, are not, at least my dogs, are not all that interested in most of the things that uh, I do. As a matter of fact, Sam... Uh, and I guess Charlie before him, um, if Lynn or I are typing, um, he'll just be, just be bored out of his mind, and he, he'll come and and lay his lay his head on the keyboard, which which of course certainly <laughs> uh, stops your train of thought. And um, he wants you to take him out, and sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. You know, your thing doesn't really. Uh, interest him. He's not really interested in television, even if there are dogs and dogs barking. And I mean, he, he might look up, but it doesn't. It doesn't smell, and you know, it, it smells that really matter to a dog. And w one of the interesting things is, you know, people feel so bad uh, when a dog goes blind, and, and we bred that into a lot of them. Fact is, it's not as horrible a thing for a dog to go blind as it is for human, because uh, visual perception is our is the basic way we maneuver in the world. I mean, that's that's central to us. Whereas to dogs, it's the smells. It's something we can't even imagine. I spend a lot of time trying that one molecule that's in the air gets in his nose and and the nose is very complicated with baffles and all he can hold stuff in there to 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 test it out and things like that and and he gets one molecule and he, he the evidence is he he doesn't understand that molecule he just knows something in other words it doesn't go through the intellectual yeah my uh, sister's dog lily is blind and actually uh, sort of makes it work fairly well i i think you're right it's not as big a 
impediment to a dog as it would be to a person. Yeah, blind or not, he can go out and smell the bottom of the mailbox and, as my mother used to say, read the newspaper. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ted Carasotti has a cute little uh, phrase about that. He talks about letting Merle uh, read the news. He says, I take 10 or 15 minutes every morning to read the news. Why, why shouldn't Merle, which, of course, means uh, doing a lot of sniffing. Um, John, uh, just uh, sort of a, a quick uh, answer on this one, if, if you can, because we're nearing the end of the program. Uh, do, do your revelations here say anything you think about the uh, alpha theory of dog training? Uh, is, is there a, 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 an alpha effect with uh, between uh, dogs and people, or uh, are relationships more... Can you explain uh, uh, briefly what that is? Because I'm, I don't recognize the phrase. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll I tell you what. We, we only have about a minute left, so uh, um, I, I'll, I'll answer the, the question quickly. A lot of people think that uh, wolf pack behavior is a model for how uh, we should deal with, wolf, with dogs uh, and that uh, it's important for the human to establish himself as an alpha leader over a dog. I frankly don't subscribe to that, and uh, I, I wasn't sure if... Uh, your uh, re revelation. Well, I would think here. that the dog, the the dog. I mean, you you don't make yourself the alpha animal. The dog makes you the alpha animal. Yeah, I I, I think that's a good answer, John. We're going to have to wrap up. It's I, been a I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I think your book is a fascinating book. Uh, quickly remind uh, uh, people. Well, they they can find your book on Amazon, right? And, uh, right. Let me thank you very much for uh, being with us on the show. This has uh, been John Franklin, author of The Wolf in the Parlor. Uh, and uh, be sure and tune in with us next week, 8 to 9 Mountain Time or Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, pay attention to what your dog is saying. Do something about it. And remember Jamie's first rule for a good life. Don't bark if a wolf will do the job.